All right, good morning, everyone. It is uh, an incredible schos to be here. I would say Rabbi Shor was just, uh, of course, I want to thank Rabbi Shor for always giving me an opportunity. It's a great schos to be able to come to Eretz It's a great schos to be able to be in Eretz Yisrael. And the truth is, it's a really incredible schos to be able to teach Torah in Eretz Yisrael. The truth is, through, through Zoom, I see I, there are people here, Baruch Hashem, that I get to learn Torah with every single day. I see Dina here in the back, and there are others, Baruch Hashem, who I get to learn multiple shi'urim because Moshe Ben Sion, because of Zoom, because of YouTube. But as they say, Eina Dome Shmiya Kiriya. So the ability to Baruch Hashem teach Torah live and teach Torah here is an incredible schus. And thank Rabbi Shor for all of the incredible work that he's doing here at the OU Israel Center. It's really beautiful. I want to thank Hannah for all of the incredible work that she is doing here as well. Uh, good. How come only Hannah gets applause and not Rabbi Shor? That's what I want to know. Okay. All right. Good. I will tell you, Rabbi Shor mentioned the cell phone story. I, I remember, I remember that actually it was the first Levaya that I ever had to officiate at in Eretz Yisrael. So I had someone who, from the congregation who passed away, the Kafura was here in Eretz Yisrael. And, you know, for those of you who remember America a little bit, so, so a funeral in America, funerals and chuppahs, are, are, are very, like, solemn events. Like, at a funeral, you know, again. And I remember in Eretz, I have my first line in Eretz Yisrael, I'm in the middle also of giving this hesped, the phone rings. Okay, that the phone rings is not such a chiddish. <laughs> The guy picked it up. The guy picked it up. Uh, that the guy picked it up is not such a chiddush either. He had a conversation. He had a conversation, right? And it was going on, and it was going on, and it was going on. But okay, Baruch Hashem, things are a little bit, little bit different here as well. But um, again, a great zechus to be able to be with all of you. I want to thank Karen and Akiva Andrews for dedicating the shir today in the zechus of Shalema for Karen's brother Herschel. Michal ben Marsh, we hope that in the merit of our Tamatori, he together with Kol Chole Yisrael will have a complete and enduring refuah. So obviously the topic, the topic of these days is the three weeks. The three weeks. You know, I was having a conversation with uh, someone in my show a little while ago. And he said to me, he said, Rabbi, he said, I just, every time this, this time of year comes around, it's not clear to me what it is that we're supposed to be doing. And it's not clear what we're supposed to be working on. We understand that we're in mourning for the Beis HaMikdash. But the truth is, you know, it's interesting that from a historical context, first of all, it's very difficult to mourn over something you haven't known or haven't seen. It's difficult to shed tears over a Beis HaMikdash that for over 2,000 years we haven't had. And the truth is, it's even further complicated. Because the truth is, when you walk around the streets of Yerushalayim today, it's hard to feel a sense of churban. It's hard to feel a sense of destruction. Just the opposite. One feels such incredible joy. One feels such jubilation. And one feels so much more of a wave of geula sweeping over you than anything else. But yet we know that these are significant weeks. And these are weeks where we're supposed to reflect on something, focus on something. And the shayla, the question becomes, what is our avoda? Because the... Too often in life, I think too often in Yiddishkeit in general, things become about mechanistic or behavioral details. So we know, what, those three weeks, okay, I'm not going to listen to music. Or I'm not going to go out and purchase new things. And then in the nine days, I'm going to intensify the behaviors as well. And the behaviors, the behaviors are important. The mechanistic details are important. But at the end of the day, we all know that you could go ahead and observe mechanistic details. You could go ahead 
and be literally again shakua in every single detail of the halacha, but yet miss the neshama. The details are there to be able to bring out an experience. But sometimes you can have the details and no experience. Can't really have the experience without the details. So the truth is I, I had actually a different shear planned, planned for today, focusing a little bit about the hashkafa of the three weeks as brought out through the halacha of the three weeks. Um, but kind of last minute, I couldn't sleep on the plane a little bit on the way over. So I, I decided to pivot a little bit and maybe move away a little bit from the halachos of the three weeks, which I'm sure you're all very well versed in, and to speak a little bit about, on a personal level, what is our avoda? What is it that we're supposed to accomplish over this time? And what I want to actually do is really draw out, I was going to do three lessons for the three weeks, and then as I was running this by my wife at breakfast this morning, she gave me very good feedback. I told her the three lessons for the three weeks, she said, that's too long of a shear. So again, instead, we're going to do two lessons for the three weeks, which I, I think hopefully will be just as impactful. So the first idea I want to bring out to you from last week, uh, for, for us, in Chutzlarts was last week's parasha, for you two weeks ago, Parsha's Balak. In Parsha's Balak, we know the story. Right? The storyline is obvious to all. Balak, the king of Moab, sees the impending Jewish threat. And Balak, to his credit, understood that the Jewish army could not be countered through conventional means. But he would have to enlist some type of supernatural assistance as well. So he hires Bilam, the Gentile prophet, to come and to curse the Jewish people. And we know that at the end of the day, things did not turn out as Bilam planned. Not only did they not turn out as Bilam planned, but they went just the opposite. Every single time Bilam opened his mouth to curse the Jewish people, not only was he unsuccessful in cursing them, but some of the most beautiful and prolific praise for Cloudy Saul came out. Some praise so beautiful that we actually incorporated in daily davening, Matovo O'Alech Yaakov, Mishkino Secha Yisrael. But I want to draw your attention to one fascinating Pasuk. This, this is in Parachav Gimel Pasuk of Dal, chapter 23, verse 24. Bilam says as follows, Heim am kilavi yakum nasa so literally translated, this nation is like a lavi, like a lion cub. Yakum, they get up like a lion cub. They spread out like a lion. They don't go to sleep until they go in and consume their prey and they will drink the blood of the devoured corpses. Okay, right? On a most basic level, right? On a most basic level, you can understand that what Bilam is talking about over here is the physical prowess of the Jewish people. Because understand, what has Bilam and Balak, what have they seen? They've seen the Jews enter into Eretz Yisrael, even now just the Transjordanian lands, and overtake Sichon, and overtake Og. They are a force to be reckoned with. So the truth is, Pshuto Shamikra is that Bilam is extolling the physical prowess of Kalal Yisrael. But Rashi says something amazing. Rashi comments over here, and he says something so beautiful. What does it mean that we are a nation who gets up like a lion cub? Rashi says, When we get up in the morning, We are strong like a lion, strong like a lion cub. 
Just like apparently when the lion, the lion cub gets up in the morning, it's hungry. It grabs what it wants to eat. When a Jew gets up in the morning, we grab mitzvos. Which mitzvos do we grab? Lilbosh talis, likra shma, ulahaniach tefillin. Put on a talis, rikriashma, put on tefillin. The morning mitzvos. A Jew wakes up in the morning like a lion cub, like a lion, grabbing everything around it, but not grabbing physical things. The first way I start my morning is I grab the spiritual opportunities that are right in front of me. What does it mean, lo yishkav? He doesn't go to sleep until he eats the prey, drinks the blood. Balayla Amitaso Sarashi over here explains that it's a reference to Kriya Shema Lamita, to the nighttime Shema, that a Jew doesn't go to sleep ultimately until he vanquishes his enemies. And how do I vanquish my nighttime enemies? It's such a beautiful idea. Kriya Shema Alamita. Before I go to sleep, I say Shema. And of course, Hashem then helps me, or Hashem takes care of all of my enemies. So it's a beautiful, beautiful Rashi. But what's interesting to note is, Rashi is explaining that this is what Bilam is saying about Klal Yisrael. But the question is, was Klal Yisrael actually holding at this point? In other words, when you look at who Klal Yisrael was, and who Klal Yisrael, now again, granted at this point in time, Right, the generation that already left has already died out. This is a new generation, but even the new generation had its own set of issues. Yet the way Bilam describes Klal Yisrael, the way he describes it, how does he describe us? How does he describe us? Use one word. How does he describe Klal Yisrael? Separate. Good. Righteous. Righteous. Right. He's describing a nation of tzaddikim. They wake up in the morning and what's the first thing the Jew does when he wakes up in the morning? What's the first thing? I grab mitzvahs. I grab mitzvahs. It's beautiful. But is that a true representation of who Klal Yisrael were and who we are now? In other words, I'm not going to take a show of hands, right? About how we wake up in the morning, right? But let's be honest. Right, waking up with you, right? Get, getting out of bed in general is an accomplishment, right? Getting out of bed on time, right, is a greater accomplishment. Getting out of bed when your alarm goes off without snoozing is like gaonus, right? It's, it's, it's a brand new level. And yet here, what Bilam is describing is that when Jews wake up, the first thing they do is they grab every single mitzvah, every single mitzvah they can grab. And again, it's interesting, Bilam, it's so beautiful. But was that, or is that, an accurate, accurate portrayal of who Klal Yisrael was and who Klal Yisrael is? So to appreciate this, taking a little bit of a, a, little bit of a, of a tangent, a little bit of a detour, I should say. I remember when I first came to Baltimore, when my family came to Baltimore, probably almost close to two decades ago, and one of the first Levias I had to attend was not a member of the shul, but someone who had a family was, and I was asked to come, I can't remember all the details. And it was a family who was, who was not affiliated really at all, and wonderful, sweet people. And they're getting up, it was like the matriarch of the family who had passed away, passed away. And the get up, the maspidim, and the child, the son gets up, and he says, Mom, we're going to miss you so much. But I think what we're going to miss most are your crab cakes. 
Now, I was new to Baltimore. I thought maybe, okay, maybe there's a dish I haven't heard of. Right? Crab cakes. Okay. Grandson gets up. Grandma, you were the glue that held the family together. And when everyone sat around the table eating your crab cakes. And mamish, crab cake after crab cake after crab cake. Hespit after hespit after hespit. All about the crab cakes. And I thought to myself, right, the Ribono Shal Olam and the Beisdin Shamala are looking down, right, and they're saying, come on, throw us a bone, right? Say something else. She gave to Emuna, right? She gave to JNF, right? She wanted to do this. So it got me thinking a little bit because it is a fascinating question about to what degree is one permitted to take a certain amount of liberty when they deliver a hespit, when they deliver a eulogy? So practically speaking, are you allowed to alter things a little bit in order to make a hesped, in order to make a eulogy sound just a little bit better? And the truth is, it's a halochen shulchan aruch. The halochen yardein hilchos avelos simen shin dalad mem says as follows. Mitzvah gidola lahasped ala meis kerawi. It is important to go ahead and give an appropriate, honest, and truthful eulogy about a person. Ulahaskir shvacho. And to speak positively about a person. But look what the Shulchan Aruch writes. You are not allowed to exaggerate in a eulogy. You can't exaggerate. Ella, listen to this. You should say good qualities about a person. How would you translate that? You could add on... A little. You could add on a little. Rak shalo yaflig. But don't exaggerate. So what does that mean? What does that mean? Right? The Shulchan seems to be contradicting himself. First he says, Asr haflig, don't exaggerate. Then he says, but you could add on a little. But don't add on too much. What an amorphous, ambiguous, difficult halacha. You know, the beauty of halacha is, halacha at least tries to be black and white. Now it's true, there's a lot of gray, right? And there's a lot of machlokas, but this is such a strange halacha. Can I exaggerate or can't I exaggerate? So essentially what the Shulchan Aruch says is what's the halacha? You can exaggerate a little. You can exaggerate a little. He goes on, vim hayubami, vim lo hayubami, cloud, person that let's say nothing positive about them, lo love. don't deliver a eulogy. So the Taz asks on this. The Taz says, kasha, I don't say Shulchan Aruch. You told me I can't exaggerate too much, but I can exaggerate a little bit. Asks the Taz, Kasha, Mali Sheker Ma'at, Mali Sheker Harbe. Don't we teach this to our children all of the time? Right? It's a bumper sticker. Mali Sheker Ma'at, Mali Sheker Harbe. What does it matter if you lie a little or if you lie a lot? A lie is a lie is a lie. This is what the Taz asks on the Shulchan Aruch. And the Taz says something absolutely amazing. He says, Listen how the Taz explains this. Let me tell this outside. The Taz says, here's the logic. The logic is you assume when people do good things, they do good things in accordance with the means they have. Whether those are their material means, their emotional means. 
But if a person had more means at their disposal, then what? Then what? Then they would do more. So says the Taz, the easiest way to illustrate this is with money. Right? A person may have very limited financial means, but they're a giving person. They're a giving person. So you could assume that if such a person had even more money, they would be even more charitable. They'd be even more giving. Says it has, that's what it means. When the Shulchan Aruch says, you're not allowed to make stuff up. But if a person has a midah, a person had a particular trait, you can amplify that. Uh, isn't that lying? It's not lying. But we assume that if a person exhibited a certain level of positivity in a certain area, if they had more means, so to speak, at their disposal, they would be even greater. See, you can't lie. So I was thinking at this levi that I was at. So grandma who made such great crab cakes. So be so to say that no, she made kneidlach, that mamish, like no one's business. Or a chalent that stuck to your small intestine until Tuesday. You don't know. That's a lie. That's a lie. That, that, that you can't do. That you can't do. But to find something positive and to build on that, that's absolutely permitted. And I think this is very important. Because I think this is what Bilaam was doing. See, Bilaam sees Klal Yisrael. And he says this beautiful pasuk. They get up like a lion. They get up like a lion. When a Jew gets up in the morning, he or she is grabbing every single mitzvah in sight. What is Bilaam saying? Bilaam's not giving a snapshot of what we are. Bilaam's giving a snapshot of who we can be. And Bilaam's teaching us that one of the most important things in life is don't see others or don't see yourself just based on the prism of who you are right now, but see yourself based on the prism or through the prism of who you can be. Hein am kalavi you getting jumping out of bed, grabbing every mitzvah, was not a present portrayal of Klal Yisrael for Bilam. But rather, it was Bilam broadcasting to Klal Yisrael that I don't just see you for who you are. I see you for who you can become. And the truth is, we know that in life, very often, when we look at ourselves, all we see is what is. Often it takes someone outside of us to be able to see our potential and to able to see who we can become. I think Sometimes in parenting, one of the most frustrating experiences parents have is when they look at their children and they see, my child could be so much more. My child could be so much more. The child doesn't see it, right? The child is just going through their life. And by the way, child doesn't matter, 10 years old, 20 years old, 50 years old, right? The child only sees who they are. And the parent kind of stands by the side and says, my child... If you only knew your potential, if you only knew the possibilities, how much greater you could be in life. And that's what Bilaam is giving us. Bilaam is giving us the gift to be able to look at ourselves and to look at others, not through the lens of the present, but through the lens of the future. And this is incredibly important for this time of year. Because the truth is we know that one of the focuses of the three weeks is working on our Ben Adam L'chaveiro. We know that the second base Hamikdash was destroyed because of Sinas Chinam, 
because of sin, sin, we'll come back to that term in just a moment, but because of animosity, because Jews did not get along. You know, it's such an incredible thing that everyone wonders. You know, we seek about what do we need to do to bring the geula. You know, there's no secrets, right? It's not a mystery. It's not a mystery. It's Chazal tell us. It's a Gemara. That if the Beis HaMikdash was taken because of Sinas Chinam, if the Beis HaMikdash was taken at the end of the day because of baseless hatred, then ultimately the third Beis HaMikdash is brought down. Geula is restored. When ultimately, again, we build bonds of love, of harmony, of mutual respect. By the way, if you notice, I left out one important word from that, from that list, which is Friendship. Because you don't have to be friends with everyone. You don't have to be friends with everyone. You also don't have to like everyone. But we have to find a way to coexist. We have to find a way to respect. We have to find a way to be able to recognize that we're all part of the same team. So what happens in relationships? That's what happens in relationships. Relationships are interesting. Because often what happens in relationships is the gauge of whether or not the relationship is successful or not is, always, is almost always based on the present. I'll give you a simple example of this. You can fill, fill in the blank. I'll use a marriage as an example for just a moment. A couple has an argument, a bad argument. It's fascinating how the mind works, which is in that moment of relationship friction, often only thing spouses will see is the moment of friction. What about the 20 years beforehand? That were great. Or, I mean, not all of it, right? But, but hopefully some of it, right? What about all of the good times? What about all of the successes? What about all the beautiful things that went well in a friendship? Your friend doesn't come through for you. Your friend fails you. So often, all I see is that moment of failure and I lose all historical context. It's almost as if relationships are built on what have you done for me lately. And if you haven't come through for me when I needed you now, then it's almost as if there's absolutely no relationship. In the same way that we lose relationship retrospection, we also lack relationship prospection. The ability to look forward. Sometimes someone does something to me and it's hurtful and it's upsetting. And I see the person for the wrong they perpetrated. But am I able to see that person, not for who they are, but for who they can be? Do I believe that even if you hurt me right now, you can be better in the future? You can be different in the future. Do we see that every single person has the ability to be holier in the future than they are. And I see Bilaam saw it. Bilaam, when he looked at us, didn't see us for what we were. He saw us for who we can become. And Bilaam teaches us that that is our avodah when interacting with others as well. Imagine when you have those moments of relationship conflict, that if you're retrospective and prospective, Look back. Let me remember some of the good in the relationship. I remember some of the good. But let me also remember some of the good that could possibly come as well. Maybe this person is capable of becoming something bigger, of becoming something better in the future. You know, 
There's a beautiful, I, I, it's one of my favorite ideas. The Torah says, I'm sure I've used this, I'm sure I've said this here in Eretz Yisrael as well. The Torah says, a fascinating Pasuk. The Torah says, Basar basada, basar basada, trefa loso, chelun, lakelev tashlichun also. The Torah says that if you have an animal, that's a trefa. Trefa animal is an animal that's been killed by another predatory animal. The Torah says, what should you do? Lakelev tashlichun also, which means what? Give it to the dog. So the Dasikin Bali Tosis, the Tosifists, in their commentary on the Chumash, ask a question. They say, the Pasuk says, Lakelev. Lakelev means what? To the dog. Okay? You're all Israelis. What should the Pasuk have said? Lakelev. To a dog. We mean to the dog. Give it to a dog. First of all, don't tell me to a dog at all. Torah just has to tell me what? What's the point of the Pasuk? What's the point of the Pasuk? Don't eat it. You don't have to get rid of it. You want to keep it? You're a carcass collector? See me after the share. Right, right, right. That's fine. You can do whatever you want with it, right? Just you can't eat it. You can't eat it. So first, you don't have to tell me you have to give it to a dog at all. But if you're going to tell me give it to a dog, give it to a dog. Why the dog? And the Dasikinim says something so beautiful. The Dasikinim says, La Caleb, the dog. The Torah is telling me, give it to a specific dog. Which dog? The sheep dog. Who's the sheep dog? The sheep dog is the dog who is responsible for safeguarding your flock. One second. If I have a, if I have a trefa, if I have a carcass, that means who didn't do their job? The sheepdog. So Dasikinim says, in the moment that the sheepdog has failed, give him the carcass, let him eat it, give him a good dinner. Reward him for all of the times he came through. See, right now, you'd be tempted to say, sheepdog, you're mamish, a failure. You're the worst sheepdog a man could ever have. And sheepdog's thinking to himself, do you see all of my scars? You know how many predatory animals I fought off for you in this flock? I got it. One got past me. One got past me. But don't let my current failure rewrite history. And the Ribbon Sholem sides with the sheepdog. Give the sheepdog a good dinner. Reward him. In the moment that he failed, reward him for all the times he came through. If only we treated people like we treated sheepdogs. If only we took the same approach to relationships. That in those moments of failure, okay, my wife failed me. My husband failed me. My friend failed me. My child, we could keep going, right? Every, if there's one thing you could expect in every single human relationship, it's that someone who you love and care about is going to fail you. That's because that's the nature of relationships. Relationships are with people. People are imperfect. But imagine if in the moment of failure, we paused, took a deep breath, and said, you know what? I'm not going to fall into the trap of gauging the entirety of this relationship through this one moment of failure. I'm going to look back. I'm going to learn from the sheepdog. Let me go back and learn from some of the wonderful times in the past where things were great. And I'm going to learn from Bilam. I'm going to learn from Bilam that let me think forward. And even though this person has failed me now, I'm sure that they are capable of great things going forward. It's the retrospective and prospective approaches to relationships. And how much better our relationships would be if they weren't based on what have you done for me lately. 
Because if that's what a relationship is, then all I have to gauge the relationship is what's happened in the present moment. But if at the end of the day, again, retrospective sheepdog, prospective bilam, then suddenly I have the ability to look at my relationships in their entirety. And I think this is what is necessary to combat sinas chinam. Because right, isn't that what we all want to do? We just all want to combat sinas chinam. I, I want to be clear. There are always going to be Jews you don't like. There are always going to be Jews you don't like. There are always going to be Jews who you don't ideologically agree with. There are always going to be Jews with whom you don't see eye to eye. You know, I, I often say that I think one of the hardest things when Mashiach comes is, you know, there's going to be a Mir Hashem here, Rabbi Amen, one base Hamikdash. By the way, one base Hamikdash, right? It's not like there's going to be the Eidot HaMizrach Beit HaMikdash, right? There's not going to be the Hasidish Beit HaMikdash, the religious Zionist Beit HaMikdash, the Chardal Beit HaMikdash, right? There's one Beit HaMikdash. There's one address for Klal Yisrael. That's it. What does that tell you about what the Ribbono Shal Olam expects of us? You want to disagree? As they say in Latin. Go right ahead. Of course, you could disagree. Just disagree agreeably. Learn how to disagree. Learn how to be a mensch even when you don't agree with someone. And debate concepts. Debate ideas. But never debase people. This is our avoda. This is our avoda. To be an am echad. To be a one people. To be a united people. And not just in times of crisis. And not just in times of difficulty. But to do that all of the time. But in order to do that, again, I have to learn to go ahead and look at people, sheepdog retrospectively, and Bilam prospectively. That becomes my avoda. And this is how we address sinaschinam. You know, people translate sinaschinam. How do we translate sinaschinam? Baseless hatred. What's the problem with that translation? There's always a reason, right? There's no such thing. There's not, I'm not going to take a poll about who in the room hates someone, right? But chances are, if you hate someone, there is always a reason to hate them. And if you hate them, I'm positive that you think your reason is a very good one, right? There's always a reason. I mean, based on English, people just walked around just hating each other for no reason. That's it. I just hate you. Why? Oh, no, I don't even know you, right? No, I just want to hate... The normal people, what does it mean baseless hatred? Chinam doesn't mean baseless. What does chinam mean? Free. So chinam means free. But the truth is on a deeper level, if you look in Chumash, because that's where we get, again, you can look at any etymology from Chumash. Remember, Klaal Yisrael says, during one of their many times that they complained that they wanted to go back to Egypt, they said, Zacharnu es hadogim chinam. Now what is that? And Rashi says, what? Pharaoh gave you fish for free? He wouldn't give you straw. He wouldn't give you straw. So what does chinam mean? Chinam means without responsibility. What's sinas chinam? Sinas chinam is a situation when there is a relationship breakdown and neither party takes responsibility to try to fix that which is broken. You see, the way we're wired to think is if I didn't make the mess, I don't have to clean it up. 
That's it, right? right? We teach our kids when they're young, if you make a mess, clean it up. So, so the converse of that is, well, if I didn't make the mess, then there's no obligation for me to clean it up. And we bring this to relationships. So let's say someone wronged me. And legitimately, I am the aggrieved party. Legitimately, I am the victim. Well, as the victim, again, I assume, I have absolutely no obligation to try to fix that which is broken. And Chazal called that sinasrina. Somebody's got to be the big boy. Somebody has to take the relationship reins. Someone has to try to drain the negativity and drain the animosity from even the most toxic of relationships. That doesn't mean always going to be successful. Because remember, again, you do need a partner in peace. You do need someone else who's interested in fixing that which is broken. But the amazing part about creating Achtos and Klal Yisrael means both parties have an obligation to bring about Shalom. Should it be the aggressor? Should it be the perpetrator? Should it be the person who committed the wrong? Who should be able to go ahead and say, I'm sorry, to ask for forgiveness? Absolutely. But you know, sometimes it doesn't work that way. Sometimes for whatever the reason, people are reticent, people are too proud, people are too difficult to be able to ask for forgiveness. Do you know what the highest level of Avas Yisrael is? When you care about Klal Yisrael more than I care about my own petty disagreements. And I say, you know what? It's not worth it. So I go over to Ruben. He, he's, we both know he's wrong. So Ruben, you know what? Let's stop. Let's just stop. I mean, I'm not going to apologize to him. I didn't do anything wrong. Right? But let's just stop. Let's just stop. Let's just drain the tension. Let's just drain the animosity. We don't have to be friends. We don't have to be friends. We don't ever have to say another word to each other. Our paths in life need not overlap at all. But at the end of the day, I just don't want to be part of something that undermines Geula for Klav Yisrael. I just, I just don't want it. So let's just stop. I'm not upset. I'm letting it go. Let's just bygones be bygones and let's move on with our life. Sin Aschinam is where neither party takes responsibility to drain the negativity from the relationship. So what's our avoda during the three weeks? What, what is our avoda? Our avoda is to stop this. Right? How many more three weeks do we want to... I'll tell you, the moment that Shavasa Batamas comes, I will tell you, I feel like a, an overwhelming heaviness because of like what's to come. A tissue above that's in front of us. Everything, it's, it's so heavy. And then you think to yourself, but why? Why does it have to be like this? doesn't have to be like this. And by the way, it's not like I have to learn all of Shas in order to go to bring Mashiach. I have to keep all 613 mitzvahs in order to bring It's not true. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says it's so much simpler. Just, as this, just drain the toxicity. Just take away the sinas chinam. Take away the negativity. And at the end of the day, Geula could come. So again, if we kind of consolidate this first part, so what, what, how, how do we do this? Step number one is we have to reframe how we see other people. When people fail us, when we encounter relationship turbulence, two parts, sheepdog retrospectivity, be able to see in that moment all of the good that came before, and, and Bilam, Bilam-like prospectivity, the ability to go out and look forward and to say, I know you failed now, 
but I'm confident that you could be someone better in the future. If we could bring those two things to our relationships and bring the courage ultimately to go ahead and do our part, even if we're not at fault, but just to say, you know what? I don't want this negativity hanging over my head. The difference we can make in the fabric of Klal Yisrael is beyond description. But let me end off with one last piece. Okay, do you want me to put that phone over here? You've been holding that for the last... No? Okay. Okay, let, let me share with you one, 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 one last piece. One last piece. And this is actually from Parsha Shlach. Just, just two Aras. In Parsha Shlach, we know we read of the terrible, the terrible Chet HaMaragalim. The Aver of the Maragalim. And once again, another one of these, all of these stories, you know, we're used to them. So often, sometimes some of the, the drama of it is not necessarily as acutely felt. But such an overwhelming story. Good men, good men, righteous men, who just makes some significant and terrible decisions. So the Maratulim come back and they deliver a report. And part of that report is in Parakir Gimel, Pasak Lamid Gimel. They say, Vishamra inu es hanafilim b'nei anak, min hanafilim, v'anihi b'einem kechagovim, v'chein hayinu b'einehem. So the Maratulim come back and they say, we saw these giants. The inhabitants of Canaan, they are giants. And ultimately, in our eyes, right? In our eyes, we're like grasshoppers. And so we were in their eyes. So we're in their eyes. Okay. So what's interesting to note is as follows. So I want to share with you a beautiful idea by the Svasemes. So everybody, of course, jumps on this Pasuk in varieties of different ways. The Svasemes says something so beautiful. Because if you look at the Pasuk, they were giants. We were like grasshoppers in our eyes. And we were like grasshoppers in their eyes as well. And the Svas Emes, the Ger Rebbe says something beautiful. He says, listen to these words. What you think about yourself is what you hear others saying about you. Or in other words, the world is your mirror. The world is your mirror. How you feel about you is often reflected and refracted in your interactions and what you hear from others. The Svasemes says, the Svasemes says, did they hear the people, the indigenous nations talking about them, not hear them talking about them? Who knows? But Lamaisa says the Svasemes, the order is very telling. Because the moment that you feel like a grasshopper in your own eyes is the moment ultimately again that you assume that's how everyone else feels about you as well. In a dramatic and overwhelming example of this, we know the story of Elisha ben Avuya. Famous story of Elisha ben Avuya. Elisha ben Avuya, one of the great, the Gidoli Hadar, the Gadol Hadar, one of the greatest rabbis of the generation. Right? Elisha ben Avuya appear, not just the Talmud, but appear, Rabbi Akiva. Remember again, doesn't just go off the Darach, but totally leaves the fold, ingratiating himself with the Romans. Elisha ben Avuya alienated himself from all of his rabbinic colleagues, understandably so, save one, Rabbi Meir. Meir was his Talmud. And the Gemara records a number of stories where Rabbi Meir continued to learn Torah from Elisha ben Avuya. And one of those stories, and these, all these stories are contained in Meseches Chagiga. So the Gemara tells a dramatic episode. It's Shabbos. It's Shabbos Kodesh. 
Elisha ben Avuya is riding on horseback. Okay, no, by itself, not, not the worst thing Elisha ben Avuya did, right? But riding on horseback. And Rabbi Meir is, is, is following behind him on foot. On foot. And what happens? They're talking Torah. Talking Torah. And in the middle, Elisha ben Avuya stops his horse and he says, Meir, chazor becha. Meir, you have to turn around. Shi'arti be'ikve susi ad kan tchum Shabbos. I've been measuring with the steps of my horse. We're about to leave the tchum. We're about to leave the, the Shabbos boundary. Mayor, turn around. Mayor, turn around. Rabbi Mayor, so taken by his Rebbe's sensitivity, says, Rebbe, come back with me. Come back. What are you doing? What are you doing? We both know that you miss the Ribbon Shalom, that you miss the community, that you miss the base Madrash. Just come back. And what is Elisha Ben Avuya saying? Elisha Ben Avuya says, I would accept. I heard the heavenly voice come out. There's a heavenly voice that comes out from on high every single day that says, Return wayward children. That's how the Shabbat calls out every single day, asking us, begging us, inviting us to come back and do tshuva. Come back and do tshuva. But Elisha ben Avuya says, the same baskal, the same heavenly voice that says, come back, wayward children, also says, chutz me'acher. Also says, accept Elisha ben Avuya. So Elisha ben Avuya essentially says to Rabbi Meir, what? He says to him, what? I would come back, but, but, God doesn't want me. God won't accept me. So the commentaries on the Gemara try to understand. So the Marsha, the Marsha says, so what do you want from Elisha ben Avuya? What do you want from him? How can you hold him liable for not doing shuva? If indeed the Baskal came out and said, Shuvu banim shovavim, chutz me acher. See what the Marsha says? The Marsha says, Lo haya lo lashkiach ba. Elisha ben Avuya, you should have ignored. You should have ignored the Baskal. Don't worry about it. should have ignored the... Aye, it's God. Sometimes it's okay to ignore God. Now, Please understand the context in which I said that, right? right? In a very specific case, the Marashah says, when the Ribbon Shalom says, I don't want you to be a Baal Tshuva, you can ignore a Baskal. But Rabbi Soloveitchik, Zechitzat one of his Tshuva Drashas, said something amazing. The Rav said, in one phrase, this is recorded in Allah Tshuva, which is the, the Tshuva Drashas transcribed in Hebrew. The Rav says, Chas V'Shalom. The Ribbono Shel Olam never said Chutz Me'acher. He never said it. But Acher heard it. So what does the Rav say? Rechuko Garam Lo Garam God never said Chutz Me'acher. But when you feel like a piece of garbage, when you feel broken beyond repair, you see, you assume that everyone else around you feels the same way as well. So Elisha ben Avuya, deep down, he put on a good face, right? He became Roman nobility. He had money, he had title, he had a palatial estate, right? He was a hero amongst the Romans, a rabbinic defector. He was welcomed with open arms. But inside he was shivrei kalim, inside he was broken. Inside he was all broken. And when you're broken on the inside, when you're broken on the inside, everyone around you, you hear whispering, broken, 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 broken. When you think you're a grasshopper, 
you hear everyone else calling you a grasshopper as well. A tragic, tragic story. But this is the sustenance that I was saying. When you feel broken, when you feel broken, when you feel like you're in a state of vision, when you feel like a nothing, that is what you hear from everyone else. And that is what you see reverberated and reflected and refracted back to you. You know, the Divna Maggid gives a beautiful marshal. Divna Maggid says there was once a man, there was once a man who just felt very down on his luck. He just felt like everyone ignored him. No one really ever gave him the time of day. You know, when he was in the base Medrash, despite being a man of significant knowledge, no one ever asked him any questions in the base Medrash, right? No one ever asked him for any kind of help. The younger students never tried to ask him for any type of assistance. He's kind of like Adam Kitzel over, just like a passing shadow. No one ever gave him the time of day. And when he went home, when he went home, he didn't really feel like his wife was all that attentive or his kids were always busy with other stuff, okay? He said on the street, he's never even been asked once for directions. No one's even stopped me once to ask me, by the way, how do I get to wherever? It's almost as if I'm invisible. So I didn't know One time the man is looking for the newspaper and he sees that there's a local hat store and they're having a sale. So you know what? I'm going to treat myself to a new hat. He goes into the store, tries out a couple of different sizes, a couple of different styles, finds the one that he liked, puts it on, beautiful, says, I'll take it, puts it on, takes it off, goes ahead and puts it back into the box, ready to walk in. And he says, you know what? My old hat is so, anyway, it's uh, so, so old, so discolored. I'm just going to leave the old hat here and wear the new hat home. Great. Walks out of the store. You know that new hat feeling, Baruch Hashem. <laughs> He's five steps out. Somebody says, excuse me, can you tell me how to get to Rehov? Like, wow, look at this, look at this. He says, of course, I'm happy to give you directions. He stops off in the local base medrash from Mincha. He davens Mincha, right? Afterwards, one of the younger students runs over to ask him a question on the Gemara. Like, I can't believe it. Incredible. He walks into his apartment building. He's in the lobby. The neighbor, Shalom Aleichem. Everybody's giving him Shalom. He opens the door to his apartment. His kids come running over, giving him a hug. His wife says, how was your day? And he's grinning ear to ear. Grinning ear to ear. She says to him, wow, you look so happy. What happened today? And he goes like this. She says, okay. What, what happened today? He goes like this. She says, listen, I love you very much, but what's the matter with you, right? What, 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 what is this? What is this? He's like, you don't see? I got my new hat. She's like, what are you talking about? That's your same old hat. He takes it off, and sure enough, he realizes he left the store with the wrong hat. Says the Dubna Magid, how you feel about life is rooted in how you feel about yourself. If you are happy with you, then you will see that happiness reflected in the world around you. If you're comfortable in your own skin, if you are comfortable with the identity you've carved out, 
if you're comfortable with the life you lead, if you're comfortable with the ideals that you have solidified, if you are comfortable in your hashkafas, then by definition, if you're comfortable with you, then you will see your happiness with you reflected in the eyes of others. Then the world is a happy, good place. But if you are unhappy with you, if you are not solid in who and what you are, if you have not cultivated and concretized excuse me, a real identity for yourself, then at the end of the day, wherever you go and wherever you look, you're going to find yourself uncomfortable. You're going to find yourself unhappy. And this is incredibly important as well for the three weeks. Because the truth is, before we could work on creating, or I should say, fixing or bettering our relationships with others, we have to first make sure that we're comfortable in our own skin, that we're truly happy and comfortable with who we are. So many people walk through life realizing, realizing it, not realizing it, but not happy with who they are. And, I, and we all know people like this. Of course, it's not me. I know people like this, right? In other words, we, but honestly, we, we all know people like this, who people, like, it's so clear they're unhappy with who they are, and they're so unhappy with life, and they're always unhappy with everything. Everybody is a jerk, right? And everybody is not doing the right thing. And nothing ever goes right. And the truth is, what you just want to say to the person is, you're miserable about you. You're miserable about you. If you are just happy about you, if you just took the necessary steps to create positive self-esteem, positive sense of self, then you would see that the world is actually pretty good and that people actually like you and that you have a place and you have a makom and you have a role and you have a destiny and you have a life out of you. But if you're not happy with you, then everything around you looks dark, dreary, and difficult. So if we bring this all together, I think that this is our avoda for the three weeks. Again, in addition to all the behavioral things that we know are part of the halachic process of these days, but I think on a hashkafic level, I'm perhaps better stated on an emotional level. I'm going to work backwards. Step one is to ask ourselves the really difficult question. Am I happy with me? Am I happy with me? And by the way, you have to be very careful when you ask that question. Because if I say, yeah, I'm really happy with me. Is that because I'm settling for mediocrity and mediocre me is good enough? Or I'm happy with me because I know that I'm really working on all cylinders I'm pushing myself, I'm the best version of myself, or if I'm not yet the best version of myself, I'm definitely working on getting there. Step number one during the three weeks, before you could build a healthy relationship with anyone else, I have to build a healthy relationship with myself. Am I happy with me? And by the way, if I'm not happy with me, that's okay. Let me identify the areas that I'm not happy with. Because I would venture to say all of us have personalistic areas with which we aren't happy with. That's okay. That's part of growth. Let me identify those areas and let me make a plan to address them, a plan to better them, a plan to develop them. And once I have that plan, once I begin working on that, you're going to see that your happiness level goes through the roof. Because the moment I'm happy with me, the world is so much better. That's step one. Step two is then to work on our relationships. How do we work on our difficult relationships? Because again, we don't have to work on our good relationships. We have to work on the ones that are frayed. And how do we address difficult or fractured relationships? And by the way, I just, I, I always feel compelled whenever I speak on this topic. 
I will be clear to say that there are some relationships that are beyond repair. There are relationships in which there is abuse, and there are relationships where, again, unspeakable things have occurred. And in those relationships, we're not talking about those. Those are in a different kind of category, and there are circumstances where people, for their own mental health and well-being, should not have anything to do with people who have inflicted terrible harm upon them. But again, we're talking in a general sense, which hopefully, again, that is not the nature of the relationships we're talking about. We're talking in a different category, the kind of interpersonal stuff that all of us contend with day in and day out. Our avod is to try to do something to fix those frayed relationships. You'll go home today and you'll think about three relationships that are in a state of disrepair. Now maybe you'll say, well, I don't have three relationships in a state of disrepair, so first of all, I'm jealous of you. That's number one, <laughs> right? Second of all, you're probably not being honest, right? But again, you'll think about two, however many relationships. One, two, don't go more than three. Don't go more than three. And to think about why are those relationships in a state of disrepair? Chances are someone did something to me. Okay, let me think about the person who wronged me. Did they do good things in the past? Are they at least like the sheepdog? Retrospection. Retrospection. Can I find something good in their past? And can I be like a Bilam to try to see that they have a possibility of doing something good in the future? If I could see that in a person who wronged me, then I could stop being stuck in the cycle of sinasrinam, where we're in relationships fall apart thinking that I have no responsibility. Chinam, I have no responsibility. Take responsibility to clean up messes, even if they're not yours. Because even if I'm not at fault, it still impacts Klal Yisrael. So over the course of these, not even three weeks anymore, two and a half more weeks, may we be Hashem, first of all, to reach a level of self-happiness. I know it sounds strange to work on personalistic happiness during the three weeks. It's not a contradiction. It's a prerequisite. Because you can't fix your relationships with others if you're not first good with you. May we be Hashem over these weeks to find a sense of happiness in our own skin. And if there are personalistic things which are in a state of disrepair, to find the courage to identify, address, and finally fix them. And then once we are happy with ourselves, to find the courage to identify frayed relationships, find the courage to stop seeing it's someone else's problem, and recognize that if I could fix it, then I have the achrayas to do so. And in Meretz Hashem, in the merit of us taking these steps, there's still a long time till Tisha B'Av. Tisha B'Av is going to come. The 9th of Av is a date on the calendar. But whether or not the 9th of Av is a day of Tsar, of Tsara, of Evel and Bechi, or whether it is a day of Simcha and Sasan, is totally up to us. Maybe Zolcha and Hashem. Not on the 9th of Av, because it's a Nidcha this year, but at least on a Sarah Ba'av, to ascend the Harabais together, to rejoice in our singular, rebuilt Beis HaMikdash. Amen.